we're going to go to Matthew 5 and 7. If you follow along in your workbook, Matthew 5 and verse 7, there Jesus talks about the merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let's go ahead and start with a question. I want some participation right now. I get a few thoughts from you right here. Jesus talks about mercy here. He talks about blessed are the merciful. What often hinders us, especially today in our lives and the society in which we live, what often hinders us from being merciful? What hinders us? What hinders you at times from being a merciful person? Who wants to start us off there? Yes, Teresa, yes, ma'am. Time. Time, explain that. Explain, using your time, because you're just so busy, going to work, coming home from work, kids talk or kids, whatever, you know, got to get dinner on the table, just things like that. You just don't think about the other person. Excellent. So, distractions, your time, oh, I love that. Time, your distractions, you got all these things going on, so it's easy to get so absorbed in yourself and what you got going on that you're not really thinking about other people and the needs they may have, even when they're right in front of you. That is an excellent observation. In fact, I think that would describe perfectly most Americans, maybe even Christians in America. Uh, good thoughts. Anyone else? Yes, Michelle. Too much humility. Explain that, Michelle. That's interesting. What do you mean by too much humility? Well, there are times that God may ask you to do something and you don't think you can do it. Moses had too much humility. Mm, that is an interesting thought there. So the idea, Michelle said, the idea of God's telling you to do something and you just feel so inadequate that you go too far. And you say, I, I'm, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. That's a good thought. And that's a trap we can fall into where we're, we can get so far. It's, we got to be humble, but we got to have balance with that. Mm -hmm. We can't get to the point where we feel like, oh, I'm so inadequate. I can't do what God is telling me to do here, which is exercise mercy mm -hmm. constantly. Mm -hmm. I like that. That's a rich thought there. Brother Don, yes, sir. As uh, one who doesn't have to go to work and has got all the time in the world, you still got that attitude every once in a while that I'm not qualified. Mm -hmm. There are other people that can take care of that better than me, so I'll stay out of their way. Wow. I like that. Brother Don was talking about it can be easy to fall into the trap of, I'm inadequate, I'm not qualified, other people can do that. Don, what you're saying there, man, that's some truth. And in all honesty, that may describe a lot of Christians, maybe even a lot of Christians in this church who stand back a lot of times, they just feel like I, that's somebody else can handle that. Somebody else can do that. That's a good thought. Brother Dave, yes sir, and then I'll get you back there. Judging or determining people on your own criteria, that stops you from having mercy. Uh, you know. If you're going to apply mercy on your own criteria, your your band, your your width, is going to be real sm small, slender. If you do it on God's agenda, God's knowledge, God's will, applying mercy is going to be much broader. Oh man, Dave, how many times have we fallen into that trap? Yeah, you know, don't want to help someone because we're judging whether or not they need our help based on our own criteria, and. That may be something we do on our way to this church building all the time. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They're, uh, they're going to go buy booze with it. Or well, they don't really need it. They, you know, they, they're not trying to get a job. 
Man, Dave, that's hitting us between the eyes maybe a little bit with that. That's good. Yes, ma'am, go ahead. Um, it's easy to get cynical um, and not treat each situation like it's the first time for the situation. And there's a whole, like, fool me once, shame on you, but fool me twice. You're talking about being cynical? That's, that's Sean Jeffers. I've become cynical many times. As a preacher, being for the last 16 years, seeing so many people wanting handouts, and going through that all the time, even at this church building, it's it can make you cynical. It can make you cynical when somebody else may come even today and want some help. Like, oh no, another one. That's me. I can't tell you how many times I fall into that trap. And and, and I say that with with shame. But you're you're right. You're absolutely right. Anybody else want to share something? Brother Rick and then and then Sister Joan. I, I would just say the difficulty here is sometimes when you put yourself and you don't really look to the needs of others um, or if even if you see the need you just don't have compassion for that individual to fulfill the need yes I like that seeing the need but not just seeing the need so often we don't have sympathy and compassion for the need <clears throat> we're not going through it maybe we've never gone through it I'm going to say more about that in just a second. That's really good. And then one more. Oh, we got a couple more here, then we'll move on. Joan and then Michelle one more time. Yes, ma'am. And I was thinking about, um, I guess when I think of merci being merciful, I think about um, how Christ was merciful so that he died for us so we could have forgiveness of sins. And sometimes we, knowingly or unknowingly, um, can withhold that from others because of her feelings, because of anger, because of bitterness and resentment? Man, you, Joan, you, you, you must have looked at my notes already <laughs> because I'm about to hit that. That's exactly right. There's a parable Jesus tells that we're going to look at. And that's exactly what somebody did. Somebody who received mercy from God, but he, they didn't want to extend that later because they had been done wrong. C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis gave this quote. Yeah, many of you know who C.S. Lewis is, right? Famous, famous writer. He said, Forgiveness, and this idea of mercy too, Joan, is a lovely idea until we have something to forgive. I'll read that again. Forgiveness is a lovely idea. We can even say mercy is a lovely idea until we have something to forgive or we have something to show mercy towards. Then it's not so often such a lovely idea. You know why? Because... I've been hurt. I've been done wrong. See, we're all about mercy when we need it, right? When we need to extend it, it gets a little hard. And, and, and under this particular point, I put down selfishness. So often, we don't extend mercy, and this is really a combination of many thoughts you've said, because we're just selfish. We're too focused on ourselves. We're too focused on what we got going on. And when someone does us wrong, we can't see past that. We can't get over that. It's bitterness, it's anger, it's resentment. We can't get past that because we feel like this person may need our mercy, but we're going to stick it to them. We're going to give them what they deserve. It's a, it's a way of demonstrating power over a person. When somebody needs your mercy, there's some power there. And so often, if we're bitter and resentful towards someone, we want to keep that power. We don't want to give that up. Because if we show mercy, if we show forgiveness, in a sense, we're giving up that power. We don't want to do that. We want to keep them right where they are. This happens in, often in marriages between a husband and a wife. You know, a husband may do something against his wife and she won't let it go. Or he won't let it go. They want to keep that power there and keep, so they can keep bringing that up over and over again. 
So I, I put selfishness there. I also put pride, and that, and, and with that one, I was thinking of, you know, I'm just too good for this. I need to focus on myself. So often we are so self-absorbed as people. We want to just focus on ourselves and our needs. And when we need mercy, we don't have we don't really have time or want to think about other people. And then thirdly, I put this on here. So often we may struggle with mercy because we don't know what it is. Let's talk about that. You know, we've been throwing that word out. But do we really know what mercy is? I submit that mercy is not just some feeling. That's often what we think of. Like, oh, I, you know, I feel <clears throat> merciful. And it even goes back to what Rick was saying, which was a great point. You know, you got, you, you got to have that feeling of compassion. You got to feel something, but it's not just that. Because that's the point Rick was really making. It's not just that. It starts there. It starts with the compassion. <clears throat> but then she'll lead you to doing something. That's real mercy. It's not enough for me just to feel it. The feeling should lead me to act. And so, there are so many examples of this in the story of David. I've been on a lot of study of David lately. At some point later this year, I may even do a, a, a long sermon series just on David's life. It's amazing. But think about the times when David exercised mercy. He had a chance to kill Saul one time. You remember that? Saul's trying to kill him. And David is hiding in a cave. And Saul goes in there. And David and his men are in there. Saul doesn't know it. And David has a chance to get rid of this problem, to kill him. And he doesn't do it. He shows him some mercy. And he even gets back at him later and says, Hey, look at this, I cut your rope here. I had a chance to kill you, but I didn't. And that softened Saul's heart, didn't it? It stopped him at least for a time from trying to kill David. There was a time when David showed mercy towards Bephibosheth. Bephibosheth, that was a descendant of Saul, Jonathan's son. And, and David had a chance to wipe out Saul's whole family. But he didn't. He took Mephibosheth and put him at his table. That's mercy. Remember when Esau had a chance to kill Jacob? He was mad for a long time. You talk about bitterness and being resentful. Esau said, well, as soon as our dad dies, I'm going to kill you. I don't like that you stole my birthright and my blessing. And he had a chance to do that later. And Jacob was scared to death. But when Esau came back into contact with Jacob many years later and Esau had prospered and become rich, what did he do? He reconciled with his brother. Mercy. He gave him mercy. Remember when Joseph had a chance to get back at his brothers? He did for a little bit, didn't he? He, he put him through the ringer a little bit, but eventually he broke down. And he moved the whole family into Egypt. He realized that God had used him for a good purpose. And then let's look at God here. I want to show you some scriptures here. These are not in your book. One of them is, but a couple of them are not. And Psalm 116, this is a big deal in the Bible. One of the main things God has called throughout the Bible is a merciful God, a compassionate God. Rick used that language, compassion. When Psalm 116, and Psalm 116 in verse number 5, and Psalm 116 in verse 5, the scripture says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. Some of your translations say God is. He's merciful. He's a merciful God. That's Psalm 116 in verse 5. Look at Lamentations. We don't mess with Lamentations too much. But Lamentations is a great book. Right after the book of Jeremiah. 
Remember in Lamentations, Jeremiah is describing what he saw as Israel went into captivity. And in Lamentations chapter 3 and in verse number 22. In Lamentations chapter 3 and verse number 22. The scripture says, The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for His compassions or His mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in Him. So even as Israel is being punished by God, going into Babylonian captivity because of idolatry, I, Jeremiah still describes God as merciful. God's going to bring them back one day. God's going to forgive them one day and bring these people back. And then a great example here, and Joan brought this up concerning Jesus. Go to your New Testament, to Romans. Romans chapter 5. You want great passages that talk about the mercy of God in the New Testament. Romans 5 is your text. Because in Romans the 5th chapter, and in verse number 6, Romans 5 and verse 6 says, For while we were still helpless, helpless, lost in our sins, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God for the death of His Son, much more have been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received the reconciliation. What is Paul talking about there? He's talking about God's mercy. God giving us something. We don't deserve, which is grace, but you can put mercy with that. God saying these people are rebellious, they're sinful, but I love them and I'm still going to try to help them. That's what God did for us through Jesus. And that is the point of a parable. And write this one down in your notes. Matthew 18. Matthew 18, 21-35. If you have some time today, just read that. Matthew 18, 21-35. That is the parable that Jesus told about a slave who owed his king a lot of money. I mean, we're talking about millions and millions of dollars in today's money. <coughs> Nobody could pay this debt back. He's run this debt up some kind of way, probably being dishonest with the master's money. And now he's been called on the red carpet. He's going to have to give an account for this. The books have been checked. And he... He, he can't do anything about this. And you know what the master does? The master just wipes the slate clean. Imagine having these huge medical bills in your life. Maybe millions of dollars of medical bills you can't pay back. And somebody that's very wealthy just says, I'll pay it for you. You don't have to pay it back. Would you be happy about that? Yeah, you know you would. I definitely would. Well, that's what's going on here. But after this man receives this, this clean slate, he goes out and finds a fellow slave who owes him just a few bucks. Just a few bucks, really. And do you think he shows the same kind of mercy towards that man? No, the scripture says he grabbed that man, he beat him, he choked him. He put him in prison and he told him, you're going to stay there until this debt is paid. And when the king found out about that, he called that slave back to him and said, I heard about what you did and because you didn't show mercy to a fellow slave, guess what? I'm now going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to throw you, throw you away, throw you in prison, and you're going to suffer. The point of what Jesus is saying there is that we can't expect God to give us something that we won't give to other people. 
You know, so often we struggle with showing mercy to people because we're just like that man in that story. We forget. We forget what we stand before God. We forget about God's forgiveness. We forget that if it wasn't for God, we would have no purpose and no point for being here this morning. So often we forget about what God did for us through the blood of His Son, and we start behaving differently than God. You see, only when we are truly touched and changed by what God has done for us will we be able to start exercising mercy. Yes, ma'am, go right ahead. Um, thinking about being merciful towards others, I think one of the, the things that we often fall into, that it's hard not to fall into, is actually forgiving when we say we forgive. And it means forgetting. Just like God forgives us in our <coughs> expunged, it, it's, it's gone. Yes. To him, he does not know it anymore. And just like with that parable, we have to forget sins against us when we when we tell people that we we forgive. And if somebody asks us our forgiveness, we it's not our job to determine whether or not they're sorry. You know, we don't have to trust them again right. in the future, but it's our job to forgive them. And I've always kind of kept in mind there's sort of a blessing in God's commandments where He's telling us, don't do this. And we, we see it as it's something that we can't do. But on the flip side of that, if you're not constantly keeping a mental tally of all those things, all the, all of the you know red that other people have in your ledger, that sort of thing, that's a huge weight we don't have to deal with. All the sins carry a burden on us. We always think about you know what are you doing to the world, but God is really freeing us from sin, which is a terrible burden. It's, that's exactly what it is. See, the mercy of God brings freedom, but so often we don't want to extend that freedom to others. Uh, that's an excellent point. Yes, sir, Rick. I challenged this class that as they read the parables to see if there was examples of things that fit in with the principles or the characteristics that Jesus was teaching. Yes. And I think a perfect one that fits in with this beatitude is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Yes. And that's exactly right. In fact, that may, that one may be in your workbook there. Uh, that's exactly right. You know, you, you have these other men there, these Jewish men who did not want to extend any kind of mercy to this man who had been beaten and robbed and left to die, but, and Luke does a good, always does this, he uses a Samaritan of all people to be the good guy, to help this man when he needed his help. He didn't know this man. He didn't know anything about this man. In fact, this man and his people didn't get along with each other, and yet, what does he do? He does all he can for him. And... The point that Jesus is making there is when it comes to showing mercy, we need to show it to everybody. You need to show it to everybody. Yes, uh, ma'am. So, is there, I mean, like, there's a difference between mercy and forgiveness, though. Isn't there? Because mercy is when somebody, like, literally has, you, like you said, has, you have the power over them. Whereas just because, not with forgiveness, you don't necessarily have power over someone. A couple of things there. I think you. I think you make. I think I like what you're saying, and I think you make a good point. I would say this though, if you don't mind. I think while there is some differences there, I do think that when we do extend forgiveness, that is a form of mercy, because when you forgive somebody, what you're supposed to be saying, at least, is that you're bearing the hatchet. If me and you had an issue with each other and I didn't forgive you, I'm not going to treat you right. I'm probably not going to talk to you. I'm not going to sit with you in church. I'm not going to shake your hand. If I see you coming, my direction, I may try to go out the other door. That's all because I got something in my heart that I need to let go of. 
And if you come to me and say, Sean, I'm sorry for what I did. I want to make this right. What I'm supposed to do is to say, okay, my sister, we're going to make this right. And while it may take me some time to start trusting you again, I'm going to start treating you better. And I'm not going to hold this against you all the time. So I would say while there is a difference, you're right, between mercy and forgiveness, I would say that they are connected in a sense. That when you show forgiveness towards someone, like God showed it towards us, that is mercy. That's mercy there. And only when it comes to forgiveness, only when we really are touched by what God has done for us, will we be able to forgive others. And not just say we forgive others. But like you said, really do it. <laughs> really do it. And that's the harder part. And not just, not just forgiveness, though, going with mercy. Helping an enemy. Parable of Good Samaritan, helping an enemy. That's mercy. Helping somebody who's done you wrong and they haven't asked for your forgiveness. That's mercy. Stop holding grudges. <clears throat> Get rid of bitterness in your heart. All of those actions are forms, are forms of mercy. Not mercy by themselves, but forms of it. That's, that's, that's the point we make. So, great, great comment. Brother Mike, yes sir. Psalms 100 is a really short psalm, but when we were reading it this last time, I found it really, really rich. Psalm 100? Psalm 100. Okay. It's real short, and I'm going to back up into it. Verse 5 says, For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, His truth endures all generations. Well, that's a fact, okay? So His mercy is to us. But really what caught me is verse 3. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and not we ourselves. That's the first problem. Ourselves get in the way. Yes. We are part of his sheep, of his pastor, or some say flock. And that hit me because are we not part of this flock? Are we not part of a larger flock? And, part, and that flock is all the Christians that are in this church and all the Christians that are out of this church. That is our first thing with the shepherd. And how do we treat each other? If we can't get along in his flock, yes. how are we going to treat the world? And then it's the flock moves through the world. Yes. How do we treat those in the world? And each one of them, each one like Rick, and then and Rick's thing was great because as I'm doing my studies, I'm going, whoa, Rick. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, there's another one that comes out of this beatitude. But that's our light. That's our influence. Now, I, think, I think we're getting it pretty good here. This is, this is really good. I just need a couple more comments here, then I'm going to have to get moving here, guys. Yes, sir, Rick. I was just saying, I think the difficulty, at least for me, is seeing the pain, the distress, the misery that maybe someone else is experiencing. Because until you see that, um, you really can't extend mercy. And, that, and that's the key. For me to be able, even if I don't go through something you're going through, and never gone through it before. I can still have mercy towards that if I always remember what God has done for me. See, that's the key. Always having that feeling and never losing that feeling. But so often we lose that feeling. We, we, feel, we feel it when we get baptized or we come forward and repent in front of the church. But it's, but it's more difficult to keep that feeling of indebtedness towards God every day. And when I keep it every day, then no matter what you go through, I'm going to be touched by your plight. Goes back to that first beatitude. That's exactly right. <laughs> that's that's really the key. It's getting a heart like God, getting a heart like Jesus, and then naturally you have the heart for for the rest of this and other people. 
Don, yes, sir, then Michelle, then I gotta get moving. Are you going to Hebrews 2.17? No, I'm not done, so you can't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. We, we often stop with, yet he, he was a son, yet learned the obedience, mm -hmm. but we fail to realize that he also had to learn mercy. Yes. So that he could be our effective high priest. So that he might become he merciful. Had, he yes. had to suffer all of these things in person, yes. even though he was the creator and maker. It was that necessity of being like us in these things where he can now be that entire justifier of us through his death. That's a great passage, Don. Hebrews 2.17. Write that down. That is an excellent passage. I appreciate you bringing it up. Michelle. Yes, ma'am. Well, I spent a lot of years in the world church hopping. And I applied mercy to the world. I got to a point where I needed mercy too. Mm -hmm. And it didn't come. That can be a terrible discouragement. And you know what? Here's the thing about that. That happens in life, unfortunately. You're right. And it's happened to me. And it's happened to maybe all of us. Even for people in the church, maybe. You extend the mercy as often as you can, but that doesn't guarantee you're going to get mercy. But you know what it will guarantee? It will guarantee you get mercy from God. Yeah. Because that's what Jesus says going back to the text. In Matthew 5, remember Jesus said in the text, if you're merciful, guess what you're going to get? Mercy. Mercy. And he's not saying you're going to get it from other people. There's no guarantee on that. But you will get it from God. Okay. And that's the main place you need it from. Yeah. So if you show people mercy every day and nobody wants to show you mercy... Don't worry about it because you're getting it from God. You may can't see it. Who can? You can't see forgiveness. That's something God says. He promises. You can't see it. you got to trust it. And that's what Jesus says. So let's keep going here. The next one, pure in heart. I want to say a few things about this. Just real quick, and I can't take a lot of comments on this, but a couple of people, if you don't mind. What's your initial reaction when you see pure in heart? What, what, do, you, what do you think there, Ryan? I think of the verse, create in me a clean heart. Man, you, you, that is good, because I, that's in, I can't remember what psalm that is. That is one of the psalms, but I, there's another psalm I'm going to show you in just a moment that uses that same language. So, creating me a clean heart. There's even a song we sing with that psalm in it. Anyone else? I think of children. Yes. Oh, heart. man. And so they will see God, like if a child dies, they will see God. That's exactly right. That's why Jesus loved children so much. And that's why Jesus tells us we got to become like children. Because that innocence, that purity, that humility they have. Oh, man. You know, right now my daughter is about as pure as it is. But there comes a time when you get older and that pure heart, what happens to it? It gets corrupted. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else real quick? Yes, yes, Lance. So, so uh, in the, the high school class, I told the, the kids that my favorite apostle is Nathaniel. Or... Also Bartholomew, if that's the same person, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus says, Behold a man who has no deceit. Mm -hmm. and, and that has always impressed me. Mm -hmm. um, because um, that that's one thing that the devil really attacks <clears throat> me with, is just massaging the truth a little bit. Just doing do whatever. But Jesus complimented him to a level that I just can't comprehend. To have a have no deceit in a person. It just is really impressive. That's a high compliment coming from someone who can read your heart. Absolutely. That's coming from somebody who can read that man's heart. That was judgment there. Yes. 
Psalm. Now that's good. So let's go to Psalm 24. Psalm 24. Here's one to write. <coughs> Psalm 24. What, what is that? The right? What's the right time right that's, now? That's the first. Battle. What's the time? Five. five oh, we got time. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to try to wrap this part up here. Psalm 24. Look at verse three. This is being written by a man who's called a man after God's own heart. So I think he's got some stuff to say about this that can help us. In Psalm 24 and verse 3, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in His holy place? He who has, here it is, right, clean hands and a pure heart. Wow. you got two different things there. Who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. So let's talk a little bit about this text in our last five minutes. I submit to you that when you read the Beatitudes, you need to understand that Jesus really is not teaching anything new in those, in those Beatitudes. A lot of that is coming from the Old Testament, particularly the Psalms. That's just a fact about it. And Psalm 24 is really the backdrop for what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 8. Many of the Psalms already say the things Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. You just got to look at them carefully. So let's look at what this psalm means. He talks about clean hands. Well, clean hands here doesn't mean you've never sinned, but it means that you're trying to live a life that is free from sin. Your life is free from sin. You're currently doing your best to be faithful to God, not living a sinful life. So David says, the man who has clean hands, he's blessed. But not just clean hands, a pure heart. What does pure heart mean here? Well, let me tell you what it means in the context of Jesus' sermon and in the context of what David is saying here. If you want to know what David means when he says pure heart here, and it's also what Jesus means, just look at the rest of verse 4. Someone who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, and you haven't sworn to God deceitfully. The idea of a pure heart is an unadulterated heart, a clean heart. An uncontaminated heart. A heart that's not full of deceit. A heart that's not hypocritical. A heart that's not fake, phony, fraudulent, and undivided. That's what Jesus is talking about here. With this part of the sermon, he's taking a direct shot at the Pharisees. Remember, I told you this whole sermon is a shot at them. In Matthew 6 and verse 1, what does Jesus say about these men? They did religious things. They fasted and they prayed. Why? So they could be seen by men. They didn't have pure hearts. They were fooling people, but they were not fooling God. Having a pure heart, according to what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5 and verse 8, and according to this psalm, means having a heart that has pure motives. Pure motives. Sincerity consistency. You don't live one way here and go out in your daily life and live a different way. That's not a pure heart. Pure motives, sincerity, true love for the Lord. You really trust God. You're really trying to be faithful to God. You're really trying to be devoted to God. Jesus had that. Who Jesus was in front of the people was who He was all the time. David is called a man after God's own heart because that's what he was. He was consistent. He always was the same way with his mighty men 
when he was the king, wherever he was, he was a true servant of God. Now, there are some people in the Bible, and I see you, sure, I'm going to get you here in just a minute, if that's okay. There are some, because I'm going to let you close it for us. There are some people in the Bible who didn't have pure hearts. Can I give you some examples in this context? Ananias and Sapphira. That's the opposite of what Jesus means here. They didn't have pure hearts. They were trying to be like Barnabas, but they didn't want to do what Barnabas did. They were trying to fool people like they were so generous and they really were not. That's the opposite of this. King Saul didn't have a pure heart. He always worried about what the people thought. He didn't care what God thought. Judas did not have a pure heart. Judas, would, you know, there was a time when he was like, let's sell this perfume and give the money to the poor. Did he really want to do that? No, the text says he wanted to steal it. That's not a pure heart. So in this context, what Jesus is saying is God wants you to be authentic in your heart. Be sincere. Don't just come here playing church. Be a real Christian all the time. God wants your heart. He's obsessed with your heart. He don't just want your actions. He wants this. He wants you to have a pure heart. That's the point the Lord is making. Sharon, go ahead and close us up, man. I'm sorry to hold you up like that. Well, what was you going to say? Go ahead, man. <coughs> when it talks about pureness of heart, it's also talking about an absence of guile. Yes. Is it's one of those things where it's kind of a nebulous gray area where you know if I'm visiting my parents and my dad doesn't want to do anything, I can make the guys at him and we'll go out for a movie, that sort of thing. But you can also do very subtle things that are still deceptive. At the very, very core of them, they're deceptive, and I think that's where it comes from be like children because guile is a practice act where you are finding very subtle ways and you have to be masterful about it in order to sway somebody without them necessarily knowing it or caring enough and kids just aren't that good because they're very obvious and so <laughs> but the pharisees were but the pharisees were and so the idea is what are you spending your time on and learning these very subtle deceptions yes or are you trying to be purely honest? That's it. What you're saying is exactly the point I'm trying to make. And I think it's exactly what Jesus is saying here in this context, especially when you understand the backdrop of the psalm I gave you and what's going on with the Pharisees. So today we covered two. And do you see how rich these are? Man, we looked at two verses for 40 minutes. Okay? Sean? Yes. It's kind of interesting in 1 Timothy 2, I think. Yes. Paul? He basically says he did these things with a pure heart, but he received mercy because he did it in ignorance. Yeah. So that kind of ties these two verses together. Now, and and so, so right now, here's a take home real quick. So what we're seeing so far, we want to be merciful. Not just this week, every day. Remember I told you, we can do this stuff. So we, if we remember always what God has done for us, it should help us with other people. Showing mercy to all people to the best of our ability. Okay? And it don't have to always be money. It could be praying for somebody, spending time with somebody, there are many ways to show mercy. And then secondly, let's have pure hearts. We're going to go in here and worship in just a minute, but we don't want to just play church. We want to be the real deal. Be pure in our motives all the time. When we do stuff, it's not so men can praise us, it's so we can please God. That's pure heart. So let's stop there. Next time, that's 